Hello, and welcome to the beautiful episode of The Hobby Shelf, where I will be talking in this voice the entire time. Oh, I sure hope not. No one wants to hear that. Are you sure? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that tons of people want to hear me talk like this. Mm, I beg to differ. Hello, and welcome to The Hobby Shelf. This is a podcast where we talk about books, board games, and really just anything we're interested in. This is episode 7, and today we're going to talk about books we read and games we played as kids. I'm Brenna, a freelance editor and avid reader. And I'm Oren, a fake English major with a concentration in board games. So, Oren, what have you been playing lately? Well, as of less than an hour ago, we just finished a game of Gloomhaven. Whoa, whoa! That was really fun. Uh, My character retired, which is a mechanic in the game. Which means he got to make a new one. Yes, I got to make a new character. Uh, It's kind of a given, not a given, but a required part of playing the game that you will experience multiple different characters and different classes. And I have now moved on to a different class. Codename Angry Face. For those of you who know what Gloomhaven is. Because we can't give away spoilers. Yeah. There's actual terminology used to for spoiler-free talk on the internet about this game, which is interesting. Hmm. Yeah. We also played Catan. Catan, yeah, we played that two nights ago. Wait, two night, two nights ago. Yeah. yeah, that was fun. Uh, I am not a huge fan of Catan personally, and I had never played it before because I am the one who introduces her to most board games. Although I will say, we played Catan with two new friends, and this game was a lot more fun than I remember it. I don't know. I had more fun with it. I my, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. What did you think? Your first impressions of the game? I liked it. Yeah? Yeah. I do understand that some people say they don't like Catan because there's like an element of randomness to it where, you know, you're, you're relying on whatever is rolled on the dice to get your resources. But I don't know. The game <coughs> plays fast enough because it's the first to 10 wins that it doesn't bother me that much. Yeah, see, my major gripe with the game is that if the dice are not in your favor, you can spend turns upon turns where your turn is roll the dice, pass the dice. Because on in this game, so for those of you who do not know what Catan is, because I guess that's possible, mm-hmm. um, Catan is a um, resource management and uh, civilization building game. So everyone starts with one settlement or two settlements and two roads. And these are two structures that go physically onto the board, which is made up of randomized hexagons to create a board. Players then receive resources based on where their settlements are. And then every turn, one person rolls both dice. And depending on what number is rolled, you receive resources based on where your settlements are. So you always roll for resources no matter whose turn it is. And everyone collects those resources. But once it is your turn, you can spend your resources how you like. The problem that I have had with this game in the past, and I guess I still have a little bit of a problem with it, is that oftentimes if your numbers are not rolled, you often will, like I said, roll the dice, pass the dice, and that is your entire turn. There is an element of trading in this game as well, but oftentimes if you don't have what anyone wants at the time, it's going to be hard for you to get ahead through trading if your numbers are not being rolled. Because oftentimes it creates, it feels like oftentimes, at least Most of the times I play this game, it feels like one person ends up with a glorious amount of resources and one person ends up with 
very few resources, and the person with the most resources often can bully the other players into either not necessarily poor trades, but can bully the other players by just getting super far ahead and not trading with them, if that makes sense. Like, like there's a form of, I guess, I wouldn't call this bullying, but like, it's the idea that like, I don't need anything that you have. So just because you need something from me doesn't mean I'm going to give it to you. You know what I mean? I'm going to be honest. I just got really distracted by the amount of times you said either the word often or oftentimes. <clears throat> well, maybe we'll cut that out then. <laughs> no, we don't have to. It's just funny. So that's my gripe with Catan. But again, I will say I had a great time playing Catan with our two new friends. It was really, really fun. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. What have you been reading lately, Pumpkin? Okay, I have a, a list. So I finished Toil and Trouble, which I was reading last week. Uh, so I won't go into that again, but I did give it five stars because I'm always baffled by the amount of detail that people can fit in short stories. I love short stories. Like you can go into so much depth and detail. And the thing that makes a successful short story in my eyes is if someone reads it and wants a whole book based on that short story. And that is how I felt about the majority of the stories in this collection. Yeah. So I gave it five stars. I feel like anthologies of short stories are one of my favorite types of books to read because you can read nice bite-sized amounts of things and then move on to a new story, which for me is good. Yeah, I'm getting a lot more into them lately, so. The next book that I finished this week was also a short story collection. It is called His Hideous Heart, 13 of Edgar Allan Poe's Most Unsettling Tales Reimagined. This is edited by Dahlia Adler. So you told me that you read this, but I don't actually know what this is about. Like, I remember you texting me and being like, I'm freaked out because I'm reading this book <laughs> and I'm afraid, but I don't actually remember what, like, any well, of the concepts. It says in the title, so it's 13 of Edgar Allan Poe's short stories retold in, like, a modern setting with different characters, so it's, like, updated versions of his stories. Hmm. So the one that I was reading when I was texting you that I was scared and I actually had to leave my light on, um, I can't actually remember which story it is because I'm, I'll be honest, I didn't read the original tales. I just read the retellings. Mm. So I don't remember which one it was. How dare you? But it was one where there was this serial killer called the judge who would kidnap girls and then, uh, okay, trigger warning if you're squeamish, um, who would kidnap girls and then keep them alive until the full moon and then cut their chests open while they were alive, take their hearts out and then he would mail anonymous letters with all of their sins listed and the weight of their heart. And so the story is told from a victim's point of view, and it was very creepy to listen to. That is very creepy. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, the next book that I finished, I finished it yesterday, actually, is called Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson. And Truly Devious is a book about, it is a YA mystery series. This is just the first book. It is about this girl named Stevie Bell who goes to a boarding school for... Oh, yeah, you told me about this. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she goes to a boarding school for gifted students, and this boarding school has a history to it. So the man who started the school was a rich man named Albert Ellingham, and he at some point got a call saying, I have your wife and daughter bring a bunch of money if you want them back. And he did this multiple times and never got them back. And um, it was uh, an un not an unsolved mystery. They did convict someone for the kidnapping and eventual murder, at least of Iris, because Iris was found later in a field. Alice was never found. 
speaking of, Iris is the... The mom. The mom. Sorry. And Alice is the... The daughter. Okay. Yeah. No problem. And there was a murdered student found on campus as well that they think is all tied in. So they convicted someone of this, but Stevie Bell in the present day, all of that stuff happened in 1936 when the school opened. Jump forward to the present day, Stevie Bell thinks that the guy who was convicted of the murder is not actually guilty. And she loves detective stories and she wants to be uh, an FBI agent. Hmm. And so the book is about her going there and her project is she wants to actually solve the case. So I gave this book three stars because... I really liked the beginning. The prologue follows this little girl named Dolores who is reading Sherlock Holmes in the observatory. And then this guy comes in who we presume is the murderer and says that he can't let her leave. And that's where the prologue ends and then it jumps into the main story. Mm -hmm. And I was really intrigued by that and really intrigued by Stevie Bell coming in, you know, almost a century later trying to solve the case. Mm -hmm. But then the part where she's actually at school and the stuff that actually happens in the present day storyline, to me, that just felt kind of thrown in. Yeah. Like it felt like a tacked on idea. Yeah. You told me about this book already. And so we've talked about the prologue. All that is like none of that actually happens in the story. Like, I guess it's it's essentially world building it's not an info dump but it's it's world building yeah and then the actual story takes place and it's about her at the university trying to solve this cold case essentially because she believes that the person who it was convicted isn't the actual criminal right yeah it's a high school i want to hear the story of the actual trials experience firsthand (laughs) if that makes sense like i want to hear the story of like iris and alice and what happened there during the time period. You know what I mean? I almost want... Well, see, and that's the part of the book that I like. I like the part that jumps back in time because there are... The, the chapters are kind of alternating between the events that actually happened back and interviews. There are interviews as well about the original murders in 1936. And mm. then there are chapters... Again, the other point of view is Stevie's from the present day. And so I, the part that I'm interested in mostly is the case from the past. Hmm. I don't so much care what's happening in the high school at the present. And also there's a romance in there that I just don't see the point of at all. Frustrating. So I'm going to keep reading the series because I want to figure out the case from 1936, but I really couldn't care less about the high school stuff. Also, I'm just thinking about this because it's something that I'm learning about. The romance that you talked about while also not making sense in the context of the book, extremely heteronormative. Like, just... Yeah, I mean, that romance is... There are... The book itself is not heteronormative. Like, there are queer relationships in there. But the main one is just... The main romance that I think they're trying to push at the reader is just... I thought it was stupid. Interesting. Yeah. Anyways. And then the last book that I am almost done, I have, like, 20 pages left in The Radium Girls by Kate Moore. And... It is so intense, my gosh. Like, the radium girls who... So these are girls who... I talked about this on another episode. They painted dials with radium, and then the radium worked its way into their bones, and they were all dying and trying to get compensation for it. And the company, USRC, which is what the company was called, kept, like, pushing it under the rug and telling them nothing was wrong and not wanting to give them any money. And it was just ridiculous. And the last section of the book that I read this week is called Justice. And it was super hard-hitting because it focused on a woman named Catherine Wolfe Donahue, and she is the first one who really won justice for these radium girls. But it's just... I think it's an important story because 
the radium girls, all that they went through kind of set the boundaries today for a lot of like occupational disease safety measures and standards in Mm. the states nowadays. Yeah. And they also, their experiences set safety standards around nuclear substances, Mm. but it's very hard to read. It is very disturbing material. Yeah. So, but it's a very good book. Yeah, I, you were talking to me about this earlier today, and I I said this earlier, and I'll say it now. I am interested to know, because I'm in a business law class, like, it's really interesting to me, like, how they got away with it. Like, they didn't get away with it in the end, but, like, it's interesting to me well, how... They, they got away with it for so long. Like, I want to know what they actually did to do it. And I also want to know whether or not that kind of ethics still exists in our justice system today. I sure hope not. (laughs) Because, like, it seems like, like, I don't know, it seems like to anyone looking at the cases from outside that, obviously, it's a civil law case. So it's on the plaintiff, the person who is coming to the company, it's on them to prove that at least more than 50% of the probability of their problem is on that that company right well the laws were just being developed back then so it was a lot different than it is now yeah i don't know it's just interesting to me i i would i don't want to read this book because it sounds every time we talk about it it sounds really depressing um but i do want to read this book because i want to know what's going on i want to know what happened yeah that makes sense well let's talk about not depressing things (laughs) and talk about today's topic which is childhood stuff childhood things so what, you can start. What's a board game that you played when you were a kid? Oh, so when I was a kid, I honestly, me and my family, we didn't play a lot of like what you would consider. So here's the thing. I call them board games. Like any card game that you play, I call a board game unless it is played with traditional poker cards, if that makes sense. So like if I were to go out and buy Sushi Go, you know, Sushi Go is a game where it, we've talked about it on an earlier episode of this. Uh, specifically on an episode with... Oh, we mentioned it in one of the uh, What Were You Playing this week. Anyways, Sushi Go is a draft game where you collect cards to create a hand in your of your own that you use to win with points. And I would call it a board game. It's sold in... I guess a more proper or correct term for this would be a hobby game because I think that's... Well, a lot of, that hobby games are a more um, all-inclusive term including like war games and like tabletop games and like just anything that you do as a hobby you know that's a hobby game so i call these games board games with the exception of games that you play with traditional poker cards that you can just buy a deck of cards you know what i mean the same thing that you would use magic for same thing like that so when i was a kid i played a lot of card games to do with traditional poker games or poker cards. So I would play war with my sister a lot, or I would play solitaire. My opa, my my love for board games really originated on my mom's side of the family. Going down to Montana to visit my family and playing games while we were down there was like a big part of it. So like when I was at my oma's house and my opa's house, my opa would usually be playing solitaire at some point while we were down there. Like it would happen at least once, at least once. And I would play war with my sister or we would play this big game, not a big game, this game called Nerds, which for those of you who know what Dutch Blitz is, you know what Nerds is because Dutch Blitz is literally the same thing as Nerds, except you play it with cards that you buy for special use for it, I guess. You can't play it with a normal deck. Anyways, for those of you who don't know what that is, 
Nerts is a card game where you have uh, several stacks in front of you, and your goal is to eliminate one specific stack of 10. The rest of them you use, if you've, we all know what solitaire is, you, or like you've all seen it on a computer, I hope. I don't know. Kids these days might not know what solitaire oh, is. <laughs> I don't know how to explain solitaire. Anyway, so you've got four solitaire stacks, if that makes sense. The Like the ones that go up a card every time. And then you have one extra stack, which is your nerds pile. And that card is made of 10, or that pile is made of 10 cards. The goal is to eliminate the nerds pile. Everything else is at your advantage. So you'll play aces to the center, just like in regular solitaire, except instead of you being the only person who can play on those anyone can actually play cards to the center and play on top of an ace. And then instead of you only building on top of your own, um, I guess, I don't know what you would call them, piles um, in front of you, you, well, you are the only one that can play on your own piles, but you're not really trying to play on your own piles. You're actually trying to play on the aces and stuff that are in the center to get them all the way up to the king in order to go out and get rid of your entire nerds pile. And when you do, you yell nerds. Yes, when you do, you yell nerds and you win. It so is I... a very high speed, intense game. And I often feel overwhelmed when I play it because my friends tend to have like faster brain processing speeds than I do. And I have a hard time <laughs> seeing things Have you fast played enough. this game with anyone other than my family? Oh yeah. No, yeah. I haven't even played it with your family. Oh, what? Yeah, I've wow. played it with my friends. Shocking. That's shocking. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we should play it next time we get the family together because I am not a huge fan of nerds because I, well, no, that's not wrong. That's not, that's not correct. I do love nerds. I am just a lot better at games that allow me the time to think. <laughs> well, exactly. That's, um, that's how I am as well. There are like, there are people in my family who are so good at nerds and I'm just like, sometimes I sit there and watch it happen and I'm like, yeah, this is beautiful. And me and my Oma just sit together and we watch it happen and we're like, that's okay. <laughs> We're not going to win. That's all right. So yeah, that's my childhood. Oh, and then one other thing, one other game that I remember um, vividly playing is something called Hunafus, which is just, I believe that's just German for chicken foot. Oh, chicken foot. And I loved this game as a kid. Chicken foot is played with dominoes. And the point is you are essentially trying, you start with one domino in the center, and then you are trying to match the numbers on each side of the domino to an existing side that is not covered essentially so you play your dominoes out and then eventually if you get the ones that are just doubles of the same number you can play them sideways and each time you do that you make three or a foot a chicken foot that moves out three branches that move out in a different direction i loved playing games with my family around christmas and around just whenever i was down there that was when i would play these games the most i think as a kid like when i was at home i definitely played a lot more video games uh i would actually read more than i would play board games uh which is something saying something oh well, that's uh, ironic yeah it is ironic but yeah that's my, that's kind of my childhood for board games and then actually the board game that got my family into playing games like a hobby game mm -hmm. thing and looking into box games was Catan. Really? Ironically. Um, me and my family played a lot of Catan back in the day. Like we, it was the first game we owned. Not the first game we owned. We obviously owned Monopoly. In fact, I remember when I was still into Monopoly, which I'm really not into anymore. But Yeah, sorry guys. I really hate Monopoly. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I hate Monopoly. I'll play Monopoly. I just, oftentimes, I feel like Monopoly ends in a bad experience. Anyways, we had a, we had a Lord of the Rings edition of Monopoly, and I loved playing that. 
especially because it had a one ring that you could be. <laughs> so that was fun. That's the best part of Monopoly is picking your pieces. Exactly, exactly. Um, But when we got into board games, me and my family, we got in by playing Catan and or Catan is what some people call it. Yeah. And we bought like not every expansion, but we bought the original game. Then we bought the Seafarers expansion and then we got Knights and Cities. And I don't know what what actually happened. I think I just had a little a few too many games where I felt like I was losing because I couldn't get rolled. Honestly, that's probably what it was. But it's a good game. How did you get into books? What were your childhood books? Did you have childhood games? Tell me. I did have childhood games. Um, I actually, I used to do a lot of puzzles when I was a kid. Oh, okay. I remember we had this really long puzzle. It was kind of bigger pieces and it was just a bunch of animals. I think they were all, I think it was like an Africa puzzle. And I used to do it, we had a long hallway in my old house, and when I was a kid, I used to lay all the pieces out and put the puzzle together because it was a super long, skinny puzzle, Mm. and it would fit, like, perfectly in our hallway. Oh, that's cool. And so I used to just lie on the floor and do that. Yeah. But for games... Oh, you know, I totally had games that I played as a kid. We we did play Monopoly. I didn't even really like it as a kid. Okay. (laughs) We also used to play Trouble. Oh, I... You know... I was always so jealous of the people who had trouble and could, and were playing trouble. <laughs> my family just never had trouble, and I always asked my parents to get it, and they were like, "No, we're not gonna get it trouble." I don't and I even wanted to play it so bad. I don't remember how to play trouble. All I remember is that there's like a a plastic dome in the middle that you press that pops up to roll the dice for you. Oh yeah, yep. Oh yeah. my gosh, I just thought. Sorry, I played so much. Sorry, as a kid, I never played sorry. Do you know what sorry is? Kind of. It's like a game. So it's kind of like Monopoly where you go around the edge of the board, except there's like these like special tracks where you can bump people and it's like, sorry. It's like, I beat you <laughs> up. It's like, you know, like the dumb commercials as kids where it's like, it's fucking into trouble. Yeah. Like those, like that is what sorry and trouble feel like to me. Like, it's just like these like very childish games that like I forced my parents to play. Well, sorry trouble they would never they i i don't know why they just never let me got it let me get it let me got it (laughs) i also used to play life all the time and i actually did like that one i did not like life life was so life is a game where it's essentially the idea is to take you through life so you start at the beginning of life and then as you go on you like I don't even remember. You like pay for school yep. or something and you're a car and you start with one person and at some point you get married and then you get kids. Well, I'm pretty sure like <laughs> at the beginning of this, it's this is hilarious because isn't the isn't the game of life originally was just like heteronormative, <laughs> like cisgendered white life. Like that is what oh, you are 100%. living when you when you <laughs> when you live and not even like And middle class. Yeah, heteronormative middle class white life. That is what you're playing in life. Yeah. Or stereotypical, all of those things. Yeah. Uh, I didn't like life. I don't know. I had a SpongeBob edition of life and I just Ew. didn't like it. I don't know. No, the SpongeBob part was great. It was the, it was the <laughs> other part that sucked. I also, um, I played a lot of card games. Mm. So my family, actually my dad's family, we used to play phase 10 all the time. My grandma in particular, she loved playing phase 10. And I remember every time we went to the cabin in Saskatchewan in the summer, we would play phase 10. Yeah. Which is essentially you have uh, a deck of cards, not normal cards, they're phase 10 cards Mm -hmm. that are different numbers and different colors. And there's skips and wilds. And then there are 10 different phases that you have to complete. And when you complete a phase, you put your cards down and then you can play on other people's phases as well and the first person of the round to go out wins that round yeah but then 
you play through all 10 phases and it's the first person to get to the 10th phase wins the game. Yeah. I feel like my family slept on this game. Like, I didn't know about this game until I was, I want to say 16. Wow. I know. Like, it was it was a while for me to find out about phase 10, um, which is weird because if you talk to the Asins, which had a huge formative role in my childhood, mm-hmm. they love phase 10. So... I don't know how I never found out about this game. Yeah, that's weird. I think we also used to play Skipbo, but I don't remember that one very much. My family used to play Uno. Oh, we Uno. We played a lot of Uno. I liked Uno. I still like Uno. Uno's a fun game to yeah. sit down and play. Uno is fun. I have to mention this now because I'm noticing this. See, like, a lot of people, and I don't know why I'm like this. Like, I would think of, when I think of Skip 10 and Uno, or Skip you 10. Phase 10. Phase 10, <laughs> Skipbo, Uno, um, Rook even. Like, that's, these are all games that, like, they're all just card games. I'm not going to go into detail about how you play all these games, because we're talking about a massive amount of games this episode. But when I think about all those games, I don't consider them card games. Is that weird? I feel like that's weird, because there are literally card games. But to me, it's like, oh, and I just thought of another one that we used to play, Mealborn. It's a French game where you're a, you're a car, and you have to drive as fast as you can. Anyways, but, um, like, these games that are all played with cards... I call them board games because they're not card games to me because you have to buy not a traditional deck of cards, if that makes sense. I kind of get that. Like, I don't call Sushi Go a card game. I call it a board game. But to me, Phase 10 is a card game. Why? That's so weird. I wonder what the psychology behind that is. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe because I grew up with them as card games. I wasn't a big board game person until we started dating. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. People should definitely, by the way, if you guys have uh, childhood board games or childhood card games that you guys can think of that we're not talking about on here, let us know because we're probably not remembering every game that we loved as as kids. Yeah. And we would love to hear about like our listeners' childhood board games. I'm not, I would I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Um, Another thing I would be interested in, um, if you are a parent with kids right now. What do you guys play with your kids? Oh my gosh. I gotta know. That's so cool. That's a great question. Yeah. I, cause I want to know what kind of, like, we don't, we obviously right now don't play children's board games, but I would love to know what kind of board games are popular right now with kids. I mean, I have an idea of a couple, but I would love to hear what people are actually playing. Cause it's like, there's the hobby game world and then there's the children's game world. And then there's the, I don't know how big this market is. And then there's the market that is both hobby gamers and children's games. Do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. games built for hobby gamers and for people who have children. Yes. Yeah. I get that. So let's talk about childhood books. Okay. So I started reading. I, I had to ask my mom this earlier because obviously I don't remember that far back. I have a terrible memory as it is. Apparently I started reading when I was three. Wow. Which is earlier than I thought. That's, uh, that is an experience. I can't imagine doing that. I mean, I probably did that. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I do remember, though, being in grade one and being ahead of everyone else. Like, everyone else was still reading, like, picture books, and I was reading short novels. (laughs) So, um, I do have, like, some series that I remember reading in particular that I loved. Mm. So, one of them was called Amelia Bedelia. It's written by Peggy Parrish and illustrated by Fritz Seibel. So, this was... I... Man, these books were so funny because... So Amelia Bedelia is a maid for this wealthy couple. Okay. And the books were like just pure comedy gold. Cause... <laughs> like slapstick or like... <laughs> no, because so Amelia Bedelia, the maid, she would take everything literally. So her 
employers would tell her to do something, but if they used a figure of speech, she would take it literally and then mess everything up by doing something incredibly odd. Is it bad? Is it bad that my mind immediately went to this is a racist book about someone who had a maid that didn't understand English and no, therefore but took didn't understand idioms and therefore did things literally? I mean, I get that your brain would go there, but also Amelia Bedelia was white. Okay. Yeah. So. Maybe they had to be not as blatantly racist in the books. I don't know. I don't know. But I thought they were so funny. So that was one series <laughs> that I loved. Sorry for um, analyzing your childhood. <laughs> I just think it was funny because they they use a lot of puns and, like, plays on words and plays on figures of speech. Okay. So it was a really interesting way to learn language. Oh, that is awesome, actually, yeah. Is through that. Yeah, that's cool. And so I really liked it. And now, I guess, um, in 1995, Herman Parrish took over the series, and now there are over 49 books. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many books a children's series normally gets, but I feel oh, like there, that's a lot. There are quite a few. Like, so another series that I really loved, and I think this one is still, maybe not popular, but I do know some people who still read this. Uh, it's called Junie B. Jones. Junie B. Jones! This one was pretty popular. It's by Barbara Park and illustrated by Denise Brunkus. Okay. So it starts out when Junie B. Jones is five and she's going into kindergarten. No. And she gets into, like, she has, like, a really... I don't know, bubbly, extroverted, quirky personality, and that's why people love her. Awesome. And there are currently 28 Junie B. Jones books, so. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. I have a book that I read as a kid, or a series that I read as a kid. Um, what, what age for kids? Oh, I have this no was like, idea. This was like grade one for me. Oh, okay. Mine is like probably when I was like 11, 12. Okay, we're jumping ahead. Cool. I was really, really... I don't know. If you have more before 11, 12, feel free to mention them. Um, Everyone I was going to talk about today was before then, so... Oh my gosh. Our <laughs> childhoods were very different. I read a lot. I've been an avid reader my entire life. Okay, so just do not misconstrue, misconstrue the fact that I'm going to talk about books as well. I am very behind a Brenna in reading capabilities, and Brenna was reading these books when she was three years old. Okay, so. I just rolled my eyes. I realize you can't see that because this is a podcast, but... Should have done a YouTube channel. <laughs> Heavy eye roll. <laughs> Anyways, um, the so the one I wanted to talk about is the Warriors series, uh, which is a series about cats, and I liked this series a lot. I think my brother read this series actually. It was cute. Um, although I will say there's a lot of books in the series, and I only read like the first three to five books because after that they like move on to different characters. And I remember, I distinctly remember as a kid. I don't know how old I was. I was definitely like. Not a kid. I was like a preteen or something like that reading these books way behind my level. Anyways, I remember distinctly like getting to the point in the book, like buying the next book in the series and, and reading it and being like, these are new characters. What the heck have they done to my cool old characters? They <laughs> killed them. This is horrible. Get out. I, and I just immediately stopped reading the series. Um, but I really loved the first three to five books. Um, or maybe it was six. Definitely liked those books, though. They were good. Um, the next one on my on my thing, which I don't know why this book is forever ingrained in my mind, but like this book was like the one book I I don't remember what happened before this. I mean, the timeline is jumbled in my mind, but I remember the this book is called The Storm Thief. No idea who the author is. It's also not a very good book. Uh, looking back on it, but I was like, I'm gonna get back into reading. So I was like, I'm going to go to my school library and take out a book. And I took out a book called The Storm Thief. And it's this like dystopian future book 
And this was, like, before dystopia was a thing, but... Hun, dystopia has been a thing for a long time. No, but, like, before dystopia was a popularized thing. Before the Hunger Games. Yes, exactly. Before (laughs) the Hunger Games. Of course it was a thing before dystopia was a thing. That's... Obviously, I read a dystopia book before I... Anyways. Anyways, (laughs) this was a book about a bunch of people who were trapped on an island and, like, lived there forever and they could never leave the island for some reason. And, like, it was about this one kid who was like, I'm gonna leave the island. And this one girl who was like, I'm gonna be the best thief in the world. And, like, they, like, somehow, like, meet up and, like, go on this adventure. And then they eventually meet this, like, golem thing, which is really creepy. Like, it's got, like, skeleton wings and, like, stuff like that. And she finds this disc that allows her to walk through walls. Yeah, it was pretty cool. This I... sounds... I'm sure it makes more sense if you read the book, but it sounds so disjointed right now. Um, It's definitely less disjointed, less disjointed in the book. It was also... It's also been, like, years since I read this book. Mm-hmm. Years. Yeah. But I remember this book... As one in my childhood where I was like, that was a good book. I liked that book. Maybe I'll read more books. If only you had stuck with it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Well, my next series, uh, this was actually a really formative series for me. It's called The Amazing Days of Abby Hayes by Anne Mazur. Okay. And I love these. I think I must have read these a little bit later, though. Not grade one, maybe grade two and three or something like that. Uh, So... This is about a girl named Abby Hayes who's in fifth grade and she wants to find a talent that can match up to her super talented siblings because she has three siblings. Okay. But the part of the book that I remember the most and that was formative for me is that she writes, like Abby Hayes narrates the book in journal form, like in the form of journal entries. And she she starts every entry with a quotation because she has like 73 calendars in her room or something that have inspiring quotes on them. Hmm. And then she uses those to like form the chapters kind of. Hmm. I remember reading those books and being like, this is so cool. I want to write journals like this. And so I started journaling a lot when I read those seri- that series. And I've been journaling ever since then. And I now have a one shelf on my bookshelf that is just full of completed journals from my life. I love that you have so many journals, although I have been barred from reading some of them. Um, (laughs) You don't need to unearth that past. (laughs) Yeah. I still love that they exist. And I love that. I love the idea of these completed journals and the idea of journaling. I could never have done it. I like I'm not the kind of person who would sit down and write a journal about my life. Just not me. But I love the idea of it. And I love that you have done it. I think journaling is really healthy. I think it is too. But I think there are certain things for people that are healthy. And there are certain things for people that are healthy, but they'll never do. If that makes sense. Like journaling is not for everyone for sure. Yeah. But if you like to write and if you're an introvert and a reflective person, journaling is very good for you. Yeah. And then I'm kind of going to jump around a bit because I think my next series I actually read, well, maybe it was the same time. I don't know. I have a horrible memory. <laughs> but I used to read the Magic Treehouse books. Maybe we'll look back in your journals. Maybe that's a good idea. I used to read the Magic Treehouse books by Mary Pope Osborne. The first book in this series was published in 1992. Um, there are like a ton of them now as well. And I think they're still going. Okay. Uh, so the it follows the adventures of two siblings, Jack and Annie, and they find a magic treehouse full of books. And I'm not sure exactly how it works, but I think they like read these books in the treehouse and then it takes them back through time. And they travel to all these different places and go all on a bunch of adventures. What is this called? Sorry? The Magic Treehouse. Magic Treehouse. 
And there's I like, know this book. The first I one, books. I think, is about dinosaurs. And then there's one about pirates. There's one about mummies. There's another one about knights. I think I read a book like this, except it was... I remember picking up this book specifically because it was... I knew that it was part of a big series, but it was like a way flashier cover art. Like it was a newer one or something like that. And I was like, wow, I want this book. When you said flashier cover, all I could think of... Did you ever read the Animorphs? No. Okay, I never read the Animorph series, but I remember... Okay, I was super, super fond of my elementary school library. Like, probably my best memories in elementary school are just... In that library. Being in that library and browsing for books. But they had a rack, one of those spinning shelves, Mm -hmm. that had the Animorphs books on it. And the Animorph covers were so flashy because they were often shiny and they were like, like, do you know what I'm talking about? I, you've shown me this before because I told you I had no idea what an Animorph was. <laughs> it's so funny. They're like humans that turn into animals. And on the cover, it starts at the left as like the human. And then from left to right, the human, like slowly, it shows different stages of the human shifting into the animals. Yeah. I literally, I never read one, but I used to look at the covers all the time because they looked hilarious. Yeah. I thank you for sharing <laughs> this book is not anything to do with animorphs i think it, i think it was the magic treehouse um but it was this one about like this this guy and this girl meet a selkie or something like that and they like go on this journey in like to meet the world serpent like this i don't know like i don't think in the book that it was the world serpent like i don't think they describe it as that but it's literally this giant sea monster serpent thing that, like, either attacks them or ends up being friendly or something like that. I mean, this sounds like it definitely could be Magic Treehouse. I loved that book. That book was amazing. Well, and I think that book for me, I can't remember a lot of the Magic Treehouse books. Like, I actually don't remember anything about them at all other than the covers. Mm. But I love them because it was, it's these kids reading books and then going on adventures. Yeah. Like, that is that is me to a T. Yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. And the the next series also that I remember reading a lot of these, I think is also quite indicative of my personality and my interests. Okay. It was a series called Dear Canada, and each book is written by a different author, but it was a uh, Scholastic Canada series of historical novels. Cool. And so each one, they're written in diary format. Each book focuses on a different young woman from like a certain historical period of Canada's past. Mm. So it's basically, I guess it's it's historical fiction for kids. But for me, it was like an introduction into history. Hmm. And I now have my bachelor in English and my minor in history. So, you know, my interests haven't really shifted much since <laughs> elementary school. <laughs> yeah, although you you didn't do Canadian history, though, did you? Or like, well, or do you, you don't, I guess if you're a minor in history that you don't like specialize in any specific you type you of can like okay. one of my best friends specialized in military history but i didn't specialize in anything really i took history classes from all over the board cool. ironically though <laughs> even though i read the dear canada books as a kid probably the area of history that i know least about is canada's history yeah i mean which is also sad because i live here unfortunately no offense canada i love you i love that i live here um, we're pretty horrible at talking about the things that are actually in our past in a real way. So, mm-hmm. um, we're pretty content to just let people think Canada's the greatest place on earth and they have the cleanest history of all time. I feel like Canada for years was like, yeah, we're content to let people think that. And then now it's like in our day and age, it's like, yeah, let's talk about the fact that 
we repressed these things essentially <laughs> like oh, not repressed have... these things but like like we we haven't been talking about the indigenous culture here that has been literally discriminated against heavily right like oh we don't okay there no canada has a dark history and you're right we don't talk about it enough i was actually interested when i was doing the research for this episode i was looking back at the dear canada books there are actually a couple like, I think there's one from a Chinese girl, and there's one from a black girl who I think was a slave. I don't know, like, I thought that they were all going to be white girls, but there were actually a couple of others in there. Hmm. But I'm interested to see, first of all, when they were published, and then if I read them. I would be very critical of these books, I think, reading them now. Oh, I mean, well, they're children's book books. Think no, but I mean, important. I'd be critical of the view that they present in No, that's them what now. I'm saying. I'm saying they're children's book. It's important what they present. Oh, yeah. Kids are yeah. very impressionable. But I mean, I turned out okay, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> um, I have a couple books that, like, I feel like it would be strange of me to talk about my childhood and books without me bringing up graphic novels and manga. I read a lot of graphic novels and a lot of manga. I, I could never get into comic books and, you know, the reason why I never got into comic books is I remember specifically, like, looking at comic books and being like, I love everything about these, except I hate that they're tiny, short little issues, and then I have to wait for the next one to come out. Yeah, that makes sense. That was, like, I remember, I distinctly remember, like, as a kid, like, I would buy anthologies of, of comic books, like, a, a large, a whole story arc together, mm-hmm. I would buy it, but I hated the idea of buying, of having hundreds of tiny little comics and like, yeah, I just hated it. So, uh, the thing that really got me into graphic novels and by extension that manga was really because of my sister, but the thing that introduced me to this world was the bone, uh, books. Oh, Keegan read those as well. I loved the bone books. Very, very, very interesting books. There's still things in the bone books that I want to know about the world that they lived in because there's some interesting, I think the, the person who wrote the bone books did a lot of world building and the thing that they didn't do was info dump. They just showed you. They didn't tell you. They pulled an NK Jemison. I liked it a lot. Um, and I remember reading these books and being like, what, I want to know what this is and why it is happening and being frustrated with the fact that I couldn't find out. But because of that, not wanting to put the books down because I was like, what if I do find out what's happening? Yes, I really, really liked the bone books. And it kind of progressed from there to manga through... I don't know, my sister reading a ton of it, and I guess through me being interested in that sort of medium, and also the fact that manga are essentially, in well, in my childhood eyes, I know that these are very cultural, uh, these are cultural, there are a lot of cultural difference between comic books and manga, but in my, in my, like, childhood eyes, I was like, manga's just comic books, except there's more. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, this is better. So I read, like, the Full Metal Alchemist series, which, um, I loved, I, like, literally my favorite manga series of all time. I have also watched the anime, but, but the, uh, the manga was my favorite as a kid. Uh, I read Fruits Basket, I read a little bit of Bleach, read One Piece, I read tons of different things. I read, oh, I also had like a couple other ones that like were definitely, oh, I was also into Soul Eater. And I'm pretty sure not all of these things, not all of the manga that I ended up reading was very age appropriate because I'm pretty were sure I ended up- reading these in junior high? Yeah, like junior high or yeah, junior high. Oh man, I read a lot of things in elementary school though. 
that we're not age appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I, the things that I haven't me- the things that I've mentioned are I think are all age appropriate for junior high. I think I ended up reading like some other ones that are like War Dogs. I think is one of them. It's like really graphic. Like there's a couple of them that like I got introduced to through other people who were into manga, but also my sister who was older was reading manga, and therefore like I ended up reading some things through her. And I mean, I mean, age appropriate is a cultural concept, so. I don't know yeah. if that's like 100% true, but regardless. But there, but there can be books that are appropriate for your maturity level. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, I just thought of... Sorry, were you done? Yeah, no. That's pretty much all I wanted to say. Okay, I just thought of another series because everything that I'm talking about, I read way too many books to talk about all my childhood books, and I'm not even going to get into what I read in junior high, but there is another series that I read in elementary school that I loved. Okay. And I want to talk about it because there are a couple important things in there. Uh, So this is called The Song of the Lioness series by Tamora Pierce. Mm. The first one is called Alana, The First Adventure. And this one has four... Yeah, the series has four books in it. And why I wanted to talk about this, this was my first fictional crush that I can remember. Oh. (laughs) Before even Dustfinger from the Inkheart series. And Inkheart was another of... It's my favorite book of all time. I talk about it more in episode one, if you want to go back there. But my first ever fictional crutch. 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 Yeah, that's what they are. They're crutches. <laughs> okay. You use them. My first fictional crush was from this series. This series is about a girl named Alana who wants to be a knight. But because of gender restrictions, she and her brother... Her brother wants to just read and learn magic. And she wants to be a knight. So they switch places. They kind of pretend to be each other and then they go off to their different things. Hmm. So Alana throughout the series pretends to be a boy and she learns how to be a knight. And at some point in the series, this thief comes in named George, who's much older than her, but they end up kind of together at some point. I don't remember, but I loved him. He was great. <laughs> you, were all, you were all about George. And there was the a thief. Alana had a cat. And I think he had purple eyes, and I don't remember what his name was, but I loved him, too. Hmm. And I just... This series, too, I think was really important for me growing up because it's about a girl who pushes against gender expectations and does what she wants regardless. You know, like, she... I mean, she has to struggle against what society tells her, but she pushes through and she's so strong and she proves everyone wrong. Yeah. And it's great yeah it's it's interesting to so it's for me with that sort of thing like it is obviously good that that exists as a medium but then it's like the question comes should there have even been a book that where like if you wanted to show people that they could go against norms do you even need to create the book where there are those generals if that makes sense like like for example in the prior of the orange tree this is not it's not a children's book oh, anymore. No, not at all. But in the Priory of the Orange Tree, it's just there are essentially there are women knights, there are women emperors, and it's accepted. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I know that this is important, and it all forms of I guess progression are usually going to be good. I'm not a socialist. Okay, but you I'm have a socialist. To, you have to remember. I'm not a sociologist. You have to remember at this point though these books, like the first book was published in 2005 or something. Yeah. So the progression, like, progress back then was not quite where it is now. Oh, yeah. Right? It was a different society. And The Priory of the Orange Tree, which is by Samantha Shannon, that is a adult high fantasy novel 
written for today's day and age. And it is so good. Like, the leaps and bounds that she made in writing that book could not, I don't think, have made it into publishing back then, especially for kids. Mm. That's not something I don't think that would have gone through. Mm. And I think that for this time... Like, for my age, reading about going against, like, of her dressing up as a boy and struggling through this and then ending up having to come into her own and proving everybody wrong, I think that was a really important thing for me to see as a kid. Okay. So, I don't think, like, yes, it's not the best way to go about it, but I think it's really important. It was an important story to tell and it was an important story for me to hear. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that you heard it or read it. (laughs) But uh, going back to Priory of the Orange Tree, um, if you like fantasy, definitely go and read it because it is a book. I'm probably going to talk about it more in our episode later that is focused on fantasy, but it's probably my favorite book that I've read this year so far because it is kind of reminiscent of classic European high fantasies, but it's so much different in that really there are no gender roles. There are no... Well, I mean, I'm sure there were gender roles in that new universe. They're just very different from ours. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, no one assumes anything about women, basically. There's no heteronormativity. Women are not put down as weaker or emotional or anything like that. And uh, relationships that are queer in the novel are not seen as lesser at all. The only relationships that are restricted are based on class. So there's a lot of class systems. And there's still a heck ton of prejudice, though, because there's, like, political intrigue and west against east and so this book in what what she does from what i'm hearing is she removes heteronormal normativity she removes uh, she equality essentially between genders is there is there yeah is a thing that has happened but there's still racism and there's still classism (laughs) i'm trying to think if there's like if it's eastworth if it's East versus West, like, just because you can't visually I think there was a lot a of religion versus religion oh. more than racism. The story is... I can't even... I'd have to... I can't sum it up right now in this episode because I need to go back and look at what the plot actually is. But there are dragons in it, and it's just... It's so good. Yeah. It's a brick of a book, though, and I will admit it took me probably a good hundred pages or more to actually get into the story. But yeah, that is not a childhood book. (laughs) That is a book to read when you are an adult. Yeah. Well, cool. I think, I don't know. I don't have much more to talk about. No, I think that was a really good kind of snapshot into our childhood books and games. Speaking of snapshots. Wait, though, if I want to hear too, listeners, what were your favorite books as a kid? Yeah. Send those in, too, because I want to fangirl with you. If we've read the same books, I want to be real excited about series that we liked as kids. Yeah. I was literally going to say, speaking of snapshots, give us a snapshot of your life as a child. Oh, see, I thought what you were going to do was get into recommendations of the week. No. (laughs) No. I was going to say, speaking of snapshots... Send us a snapshot of your, like, I don't know. Of your childhood. Yeah, Yeah. if you still have your childhood books, we'd love to see them. Like, if you could send them to us or email them to us. (laughs) Send send your actual physical books books to us. Send us your books. (laughs) (laughs) The ploy of to make books. (laughs) To make books. I mean, I'm not going to complain if someone wants to send me books. The reason we made this whole podcast was actually a ploy to just get you to send us your childhood books. Not, Not your irregular books. Just your childhood books. Only the ones those, that have sentimental value. Yeah, those ones are the more valuable ones. 
Wow. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> we should actually do our recommendation of yes, the week, though. <laughs> it's time for recommendations of the week. What is your recommendation of the week this week, babe? My recommendation of the week is a podcast. Woo! Because everyone knows I love my podcasts. This is another book podcast because there are so many good ones out there. And I realized I haven't recommended this one yet. So this one is the Currently Reading podcast. It's hosted by Meredith Monday Schwartz and Katie Cobb. And I love this because it's just two bookish best friends who meet up every week and talk about books. Yeah. And they both read a lot. I have gotten so many recommendations from their show. And one of actually my favorite things that they've started lately is called, oh, what is it called? It's like slow reads. Why am I blanking? Anyway, what they do is they read books a tiny little bit at a time. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Ooh. Like they'll read five pages a day or something. Yeah. Oh, slow but steady. That's slow but what steady. It's okay. Yeah. And I actually haven't taken part because I haven't had any books that I wanted to read slowly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I but mean, yeah. you've been kind of like slow and steady reading Radium Girls. Like, I mean, no, well, it feels like it because you've read other things on the side. Well, that's because I'm reading Radium Girls for a, a book club and we're talking about a different part of it every week. Yeah. So I'm trying not to read ahead. That's why I'm reading slow. Yeah. I usually don't read books at that pace. I usually just fly through them. Anyway, what is your recommendation of the week? My recommendation of the week is, so a friend of mine uh, from university just launched a business called Yeti Minis, and I don't know if they ship to the US, but what it is, is a company that will 3D print any mini miniature file that you send them. So it's, it's for tabletop gaming. You send them an STL file. And they will print it on their 3D printer and then they'll mail it to you. Um, it's essentially, I think it's like $6 for a small size miniature. So like if you're playing D&D and you have a small size character, it costs you $6 to get your miniature $6 printed. $6 Canadian. 6 Canadian, yeah. Uh, $12 Canadian for a medium size. And then I think it's $18 for a large size. I think it's awesome. I'm really proud of him for starting a business, first of all, because it's a startup. And I think it's awesome that he's doing it. Also, this is like I'm into 3D modeling as a person. So I think it's awesome that there are people out there who are starting to do this sort of thing, because I literally uh, in a lot of my spare time will model 3D characters just to print them for my for my own tabletop games. So I think it's cool that he's doing it. Yeah, you should check awesome. it out. I don't know if he ships to the US yet, but if you are from the US, feel free to check him out anyways and then find out because cool, cool. your dollar is way better than ours. So yeah, you could save a lot of money. Go Canada. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Thank you for listening to episode seven of The Hobby Shelf. We hope you enjoy it, and we would greatly appreciate if you would click that subscribe button and leave us a review. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram the ho at The Hobby Shelf, or you can send us an email at thehobbyshelfpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us at brennadaviesediting.com slash the hobby shelf all of the books and games we mentioned will be in the show notes along with our recommendations of the week we are grateful to record this podcast on the traditional territories of the blackfoot confederacy the sutina the stony nakoda nations the metis nation of region 3 and all people who make their homes in the treaty 7 region of southern alberta where we live play and work Listen to our next episode where we're going to play Matchmaker with some books and some board games, and we are going to give you guys some pairs of books and board games to read and play together. Well, not that you can read a book while playing a game. At different times, but together. Yeah. <laughs> and remember, keep expanding your shelf.